I am Douglas Little, founder, perfumer, and creative director for Heretic Perfume. You are listening to the I Am Heretic podcast. These podcasts are an exploration of the senses with a focus on fragrance, how it's made, the effects it has, and the incredible people it has led me to meet. The pandemic, and specifically the stay-at-home orders that rolled out March of 2020, affected us all in crazy ways. I think for many of us, fear was at the cornerstone of emotions, and from fear branched out uncertainty, anxiety, depression, and even boredom. One of several bad habits that I personally developed during the pandemic was drinking, and drinking a lot of wine. We were home, anxiety-ridden, and a glass of wine took the edge off things in a way that my essential oils, my tuning forks, and meditation did not. Before I knew it, one glass turned into two, and two into three, and before I knew it, I was embarrassed to take out the recycling bag. While alcoholism definitely runs in my family, I have never had any issues controlling my intake until the pandemic set in. And then all of a sudden, I found myself thinking about that glass of wine and craving the hit of dopamine. It's a slippery slope, my friends. A slippery slope. It didn't matter if I was on a Zoom call with friends or connecting with a few of my pandemic bubble people. Drinking was always on the docket and sometimes the focal point for the gathering. Fast forward a year later of overdrinking and overeating and under-exercising. I not only felt terrible, I managed to pack on 20 pounds and needed to make some serious changes. I began to explore the world of non-alcoholic beverages and moreover the bold youth movement who have consciously made the choice to not drink. I discovered a kaleidoscope of options and began trying as many as I could get my hands on. Nothing really stood out and many were very expensive and did not really deliver a taste or feeling that resonated with me until I stumbled on something called Gia. I found Gia shopping at a specialty food shop, the quirky bottle and wooden cap standing proudly amongst the imported sparkling waters and elixirs. On first glance, it looks like something you'd find at a local grocer while on vacation in the Mediterranean. I was thoroughly intrigued not only with its aesthetic value, but also with its incredible ingredient deck. One sip and I was immediately obsessed. Certainly not for the faint of heart, the beverage delivers a spicy whip crack to the tongue wielded by ginger root. The overt flavor profile is bitter citrus notes that opens with a deeply aromatic garden of herbaceous rosemary, acacia, elderflower, and lemon balm. It gives you bright Negroni vibes without the booze. What I loved most about this drink was how unapologetic the formula was. You either love this or you don't. It does not straddle a middle ground and smells absolutely intoxicating. I started to slowly replace my wine with various concoctions built around Gia, and within a week I had parted ways from my Primitivo and have not looked back since. I wanted to learn more about this very special and unique brand, and joining us today is the founder and CEO, Melanie. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us. I'd love to find out a little bit more about how this all began and how this beautiful product came to be. So tell us a bit about that. And then I want to get to hear about your background. Of course. Well, Gia really came from 
uh, my personal experience and like the merger of all of my experiences because I haven't been drinking for a number of years for no particular reason other than I feel better without alcohol. And I was really frustrated with the lack of options for non-drinkers. It was like, you know, sparkling water with lime can only get you so far. And I felt like every mocktail was very infantilizing. It was like, you know, I don't want a cocktail that's called virgin something. And I definitely don't want the juice before dinner. And I wanted like a grown up drink with the complexity and the texture of an alcoholic drink, something that would really pair well with the food that I was eating. And I say it comes from the merger of all of my experiences because, you know, you don't realize like what you had until you lose it. And I grew up in France in Lyon, which is like a really big food city um, where I was, you know, able to taste so many things and have access to so many ingredients. And I grew up spending every summer with my grandmother in the South of France and she'd made incredible aperitifs and digestif with, you know, fresh lemons from the garden and a lot of booze and a lot of sugar, but these very like these real flavors, these, these, um, really honoring the ingredients in the season. And, and I'm sure that's something that you can relate to as a nose or as a perfumer. Um, so when, you know, I had the idea of a guia, which was really in front of my eyes for so many years, because it was really like out of a need of, for this product myself, um, you know, we sort of brought it to market really quickly because I became completely enthralled with the project. I knew exactly what I wanted it to taste like, and I knew what I wanted it to look like. And because it was, I was the customer, I made this drink for me. Um, so that's the story behind Gia. Well, I think it's a great one. I think that from the aesthetic, the, you know, and in the beginning of the intro, I, I, I really walk everyone through kind of my personal experiences of the pandemic and about drinking and uh, how I found this product and kind of what the product has done for me. Because one of the things I'm always, I think, as a, you know, just someone who really loves to be engaged with life and on all of its senses. Um, you know, obviously drinking has been a part of my reality for a long time. Um, and, and wanting to create a new relationship with that. I also started to explore this great movement that's happening with, you know, these very young people that have decided that they don't want to drink. And it's a conscious choice of wanting to be more present and being more conscious and, you know, all of these things in the decisions that they're making. And I also completely agree that I think that a lot of the products that are available and what I tried felt very lackluster and were also very expensive. And I really didn't feel like it was meeting the needs of uh, what I was personally looking for. And I think that aesthetically, the way that you've packaged this, the way that you're positioning it, and also the voice of the brand is really powerful. It's got a very unique, um, I'm going to call it sense of humor and a barb to it that's quite sharp and also feels quite uh, dry and European in a lot of ways. Um, so I think that's obviously speaking to your background. But is that, was this very pointed? Did you, did you have, were you working with a branding agency or was this something that you brought to the table? We worked with a branding agency for the graphics, but the brand voice, we actually wrote ourselves. Um, and I say us, it was me and um, this girl, Riley, who used to work for us and used to work for Miel Gossier before and then came to join the adventure. And she actually left last week um, to pursue new things. But, you know, it was kind of like her and I being a bit sassy and having fun with it. Um, and I think the brief initially was how do we break down the stigmas of alcohol. Like how do we make people feel like they're invited? How do we are, how do we speak directly to the customer in a, in a tone of voice that is warm and friendly and very inviting because that is what 
I think will really help break down the barriers. I think alcohol has told people for decades that, you know, alcohol is the life of the party and you need it as a social lubricant. And we really wanted to kind of upend those stigmas um, by creating a brand that, you know, kind of like revered the past and the ritual of a beverage. It's about this transition moment, but really anchoring it in the present. And the times of like brands telling you what to do are over. And we really wanted to have this two-way conversation with the customer. So really, um, you know, infusing it with as much personality as possible. And that was extra important for us because we launched in COVID. And, you know, we initially had planned for a launch that was very IRL, very in-person, because a lot of my experiences have been building offline experiences, whether, you know, on the design side or on the hospitality side. And so it was important to me that people try Gia. I think when you, when you have a taste of it, you get it. It's very European. It's very bitter, um, but it's also very complex and it's uh, very polished, but it's still approachable. And those were things that were very intentional and that because we couldn't meet people in person, we we had to kind of like figure out different touch points to, to create an environment. How long did it take you to create the formula? Over a year. So that was wow. actually the longest part. People always ask us, they say, your marketing is so great and your design is beautiful. And these things really, you know, touch and flatter me because I poured my heart and soul into it, into them. But the formula was the tricky part, especially because, you know, when we started Gia, um, there were a few non-alcoholic drinks on the market, but they were very different. There were a few analogs, as we call them, which are, mm. you know, beverages that are trying to replicate the gin or a flavor that already exists. And that is totally against what we want to do. I mean, it, it works really well in a cocktail for others, but we wanted to create a unique formula. And I wanted to create something that had the tasting notes of the things that I was craving when I was going out to dinner but without all the nasties, without the booze, without all of that. And then you also had the very functional beverages, which were obviously promising something completely different uh, and are obviously doing very well today. But like that was also not what we set out to do. So even just finding a food scientist to help us with that and keep a formula stable was difficult. And I ended up meeting this guy who loved Italian Amaro's, you know, mm. the flavor that he is very inspired by, um, like those craft Amaro's or even like, just like Aperol or Campari and really understood like this culture of aperitivo, which I grew up in and wanted to anchor our beverage in, in this occasion, um, but also developed candy. Uh, and so he had this kind of like broad range of experience and it took us um, 55 weeks. Wow. That's impressive. That's really a long time, but you can definitely tell that there's, a, there's so much uh, that went into this product and the way that it was developed and the nuances of it. Um, one of the things that I was really impressed with was the balance of the herbaceous notes uh, in this and really finding, you know, things, uh, I think a lot of brands, they use you know, ginger, for instance, is used kind of overtly to kind of take it into something else. And the balance of the ginger with things like the lemon balm and the uh, rosemary create this very unique quality on the palate. And I think that, again, when listeners try this, you're going to be pleasantly surprised at, at how unique this experience is. And again, for me, it was just really I think what I loved the most was how much, you know, when I started Heretic, you know, the whole point was to basically do something that I also wanted and felt was needed in the market. And I also saw it clearly, didn't know whether or not there was a customer that was really wanting it, but I knew that I needed to do it. And so again, my development happened quite quickly with it. 
And I also was very unapologetic about the way that I did it. And I think Gia is very much the same way. It just, you know, when I've, when I've prepared this for people, uh, you either love it or you don't. And I, I love that that road is very clearly defined and it's not, there's no middle ground with it, which is fantastic. Um, and I think that's why the brand is going to be you know, so fantastic and such a huge success. So you have the, what, what do you call this main product? What is the, the name of it? Our aperitif. Okay. So the aperitif, and then there are these gems, which are the carbonated, uh, versions, which are based the spritzes, right? So, and this comes in the classic, correct. And then also in the ginger, am I correct? Yes, exactly. Something tells me that you have big visions for what you want to do. Um, I do. I mean, you know, I think our big vision um, doesn't just stop at products. I think our big vision is to really take back the word drinking from alcohol and really lead the way in helping people socialize in a more mindful way, which is very different from telling people not to drink, which we never do. We just want to be an option if people decide to opt out and be more inclusive. So that's really like our big vision. We're launching more products, but candidly, I think that the real challenge for a brand like Gia is to be anchored in depth and build this forever brand with a few iconic uh, flavors as opposed to try to churn out products, which would be a much easier way to build revenue and build growth and build scale. But ultimately, we'll dilute the brand and it would be hard to remember Gia for one thing. So the spritzes are fun, ready to drink version, ready to drink versions of the aperitif. And we have a few more that are really fun and seasonal in the pipelines. There's also products to kind of complement how you drink your Gia. And we are working on new flavors, but I don't think we'll launch more than one main scoop a year. Fantastic. Well, it's, it's exciting and very much something to look forward to. Do you have with this with the main uh, product that is kind of the hero for the line, do you have uh, a way that you like to, or like your favorite recipe of the way that you like to prepare it? I'm actually a purist and I, I appreciate that you spoke a little bit about how polarizing the product is because that was very intentional. You know, I feel like if you try to create a flavor that everyone will like, it means that it's very diluted down. It means that it's probably very sweet um, and it doesn't have quite that much, you know, oomph for personality. And so, you know, the way that we approach developing products is make a very curated line of beverages that will be quite polarizing, but any single person will find one in the line that they really love and feel like stronger about than, you know, any other. Um, so, you know, I feel this way, for instance, about licorice, which most people hate. And I love licorice. I grew up, I had my first pasties when I was six, you know, so it's like a very familiar flavor to me. Um, and I, I know that it's not a very popular flavor on the American market, but I feel like fragrance is very similar in this sense is there are just notes that, you know, speak to you more than others. So, so that's kind of the idea, um, for Gia is finding this depth. The American palette is a very interesting palette. And, um, obviously I'm American, proudly American. Um, but I spent a lot of time in my training was in France. And so I've had the opportunity of being able to live abroad and really get a good understanding of a lot of different cultures and, and different palettes. The European palate, specifically the French palate, deals in a lot of bitter flavors and is, I think it's a really important part of the cuisine and also obviously part of the drink culture. 
The American palette, though, is very different, and it also applies to fragrance as well. So, you know, one of my favorite notes to work with is anise, and um, anise is like the death of a fragrance because too much anise, and it just, you know, it becomes the black licorice fragrance, and, and the American palette doesn't like licorice. It's just the common knowledge here. Um, have you found it challenging to be able to get into the market and to get a foothold because of the bitterness of the quality or the bitterness of the flavors? little bit. I mean, you know, I think I would say like maybe only 25% of people like, like bitter. Uh, this is a very unexact, completely made up number. Um, sure. but, you know, I like mine one part Gia, two parts sparkling water because I like kind of like how pure the bitterness shines through, but we also really wanted to make Gia as versatile as possible. So most people will mix it with a mixer that's a little bit sweeter, uh, whether it is like one of the San Pellegrino mixers, ginger beer is a customer favorite. And that's what called us to launch the spritz with ginger uh, for this specific reason. So we made Gia very intentionally low sugar uh, and low calorie uh, and really just with pure plants so that it could be versatile and people could make it their own. So, you know, I think with a, a guia with uh, a little bit of sparkling water and I say one part, two parts, but I'm usually one to one because I really love bitter uh, and a little squeeze of lemon and, you know, a sprig of rosemary or something is kind of like my ideal spritz. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When uh, one of my favorite drinks to make with this is I have there's a brand that's called Kimono that does this really beautiful mm -hmm. yuzu, this beautiful yuzu sparkling uh, yuzu product. And uh, I began combining a one-to-one -one ratio of this with the yuzu. And then I was taking rosemary from the garden uh, and, and singeing the rosemary and was giving it to guests and people were just losing their mind. I mean, they were just blown away with it. And they all, funny enough, they, one, going to my house, I typically will inebriate everyone. So mm -hmm. they all anticipated that it was heavily, uh, it had some kind of intoxicant in it and it did not and it, they everyone loved it and we went through many many bottles of it so it's a great great uh drink do you <laughs> have you. a way do you have a um when you're pairing this with foods is there one particular food that you love to pair this with so i find that bitter cuts very well through somewhat deeper richer foods i love like yeah with a handmade pasta but that's also because mm. i love a handmade pasta. Um, so definitely, definitely. I think it, it actually, I love bitter, but it, because I think it, it primes your palate very well for a lot of different food. Um, maybe less, you know, I would say like less Asian flavors or like, I mean, I know that if I'm having Japanese food, for instance, I much prefer to have a tea or something that is like, you know, um, maybe actually a little bit less complex because there's like so much subtility to, you know, like having the texture of a raw fish and whatnot. And I probably wouldn't want something carbonated either. So, um, but I think for very like French and Italian flavors, like, and even like, you know, new American palette, I would say, uh, Kia pairs very well with all of you. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. So thank you so much for giving us, you know, a little bit of a deep dive into the brand and the background and where it came from. Uh, and now kind of merging on to, I, I would love just to pick your brain for a second, because obviously you've got this incredible language of food and drink, and you're extremely well-traveled. And I would love to find out, um, you know, do you have a favorite fragrance? Does fragrance play a part in your life? 
Yeah, actually, um, when I was a child, my mom used to sell fragrances. So I feel like she always tried so many on us. Um, and maybe as a result, like, I think I'm very loyal to mine, but I wear them very sparingly, uh, because I don't Mm -hmm. love to have new fragrance on my skin. So I love fragrances that are made up mainly of base notes. Actually. Um, I like, uh, I like a fragrance that sits very close to the skin. I love, you know, body oils. There's a, there's a body oil called the everyday oil that is very strongly infused with Palo Santo that I love. I love, you know, woodsy fragrances, um, amber. Um, I currently, my fragrance is a tobacco from Maria Santana. Maria Santana Bella, uh, which I love. So it's also a fragrance that could be a home fragrance. So it could be like your boyfriend's sweater or like the leftover ashes in the chimney or they're, you know, fragrances that feel um, very environmental, I would say. No, it's a a great one. It's uh, that tobacco fragrance from Santa Maria is really beautiful. Um, It was also wonderful connecting with Leah from, from your team. Uh, She said that she was, yeah, she was so sweet. She was like, Oh, we love, I I love smudge. And she was a big friend of our smoky fragrances, which was great. Uh, And then tell me about uh, if you had three, if you could name three of your favorite restaurants globally, what would they be? Well, I'm a bit of a creature of habit. So um, there's a restaurant in Paris that actually, unfortunately, just closed during COVID. And I, I hope that it will reopen, but I'm not sure. And it was called Klaus, C-L-A-U-S. And it was a breakfast restaurant. Um, and because I would always stick the red eye to Paris, so I still always, it's always a red eye to Paris. And that was kind of like my first stop, uh, trying to stay up to beat my jet lag. And they just had like the perfect breakfast goods, the granola, the pastry, everything was just detailed, but beautiful. And if you wanted to have a three course breakfast meal, you could, but, uh, if it was just like a quick snack, it was just everything about it was simple and perfect in a very, yeah, it was aesthetically pleasing, but it also like, you know, it was like well-sourced ingredient and it was really, uh, delicious. And so I love that place as a as also a first stop when I got to Paris. Similarly, I, I feel this way about uh, Via Corroda in New York, where I love to go right off the plane and I like to sit at the bar and have a spizzerina, which is their hand-chopped, um, seared steak tartare cooked with rosemary and garlic. And it just has this perfect, like, you know, crispy little crust um, and then like really um, incredible high quality, you know, meat. And it's this just perfect size patty, like a lady burger. Um, so I'd love to have that with their gem lettuce salad when I get to New York. Um, and actually in Mexico city where I am now, I love this place called Expendio de Maiz, which is, um, really like a, a tiny restaurant with four tables and you just go and everything is, you know, made with corn. Mexico has incredible corn. They don't even use GMO anywhere. So they just kind of ask you what you feel like and they just keep bringing things to you up until um, you're done. And you never really know what's going to, you know, arrive because it's nothing that you've seen before, but it's also not overly complicated. Um, and it's really it's like a lot of, a lot of um, zucchini flowers and a lot of, you know, um, ancient, you know, corns and um, just, it's just delightful. Oh, it sounds incredible. Those are amazing references. Um, and then because obviously you're such an aesthete, what would you choose as three of your favorite films that have been the most inspirational for you? 
So actually I saw this question and I don't really know how to answer it because I don't watch much at all. Um, I don't watch a lot of movies. I'm like the goal of everything in my life is to just get myself out of screen. So I never crave like mm. watching something. Um, but you know, I love the very cinematic movies because I think what I really appreciate about it is the aesthetic and the photography, like, you know, a single man or, uh, the, uh, great beauty or, you know, I am love all of these uh, movies that have this uh, European aesthetic and this drama and um, don't necessarily have like the most, um, how do you say, uh, the most like roller coaster plots, you know, but sure. are just like just beautifully designed because I think so much of, so much of the inspiration um, is that for me. Yeah. It's a great answer. And then finally, uh, I'm, I have a funny feeling. I know what the answer is going to be to this, but, uh, do you have a guilty pleasure that you, uh, indulge in? I have many. (laughs) (laughs) Is there, is there one that you want to share? I mean, I travel a lot. I think that would probably be it. You know, I, uh, I'm definitely, I hate the expression work hard, play hard, but I really do believe that like, you know, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And so the small pleasures really matter. So if that means like Mm. going surfing at seven in the morning before a long day of work, like I'll always, you know, try to do it. And if it means like, you know, driving seven hours to go snowboard for one day and be back, you know, on Sunday night, I will also do that. So, um, definitely my guilty pleasure, I would say is, uh, is just trying to live, you know, in the present as much as possible. Words to live by. Melanie, thank you so much for your time and for joining us from Mexico. I'm wishing you such a pleasant stay there and uh, looking forward to connecting potentially when you're back. And uh, again, thank you so much for the guia. We're, I'm absolutely in love with it. And uh, I'm sure that all of our guests will fall in love with it as well. Thank you so much. 